humans. Hello, humans. Humans of Minneapolis and the St. Paul humans of the world. How are you? It's me, Ellie Krug, with Ellie 2.0 Radio on AM 950. I am thrilled to be back. You have me again. Real me. Okay, well, real me taped. But there you go. And um, I'm here. We've got a fresh show. Uh, we've got uh, just a, a, tremendous, a tremendous show, which is we'll touch in part on judges, but also um, we'll touch on surviving the human condition. I have an incredibly great interview with a man named Dan Blake. He's a lawyer who has had... Um, Incredible, incredibly an incredible story of human survival, which um, in turn fueled his idealism and his willing and his desire to go out and touch uh, with other humans. So you're going to really like that. Um, and, uh, and, and then we've got the C block at the end. Now, remember, this show is about idealism and about idealists, about people who go and make a difference in the world, um, either in the past or in the present, uh, by way of my big interview. So let me just start out briefly with what's happening with the America's judiciary right now, the federal judiciary. In the last two years, um, the current political administration has been packing uh, the federal court system with conservative judges. Um, many of those judges, most of them, I think almost all of them, are judges that are picked by someone else by the Koch family-funded Federalist Society. As uh, reported by Peter Castaño um, on the blog Citizen Truth, it's an August 2nd blog, um, in the span of a week in late July um, into very early August, the Senate confirmed 13 judicial nominees. They join more than 130 other federal judges confirmed by the federal, by the Republican-controlled Senate so far in this administration. Of the latest batch, 11 of those judges refused to endorse the sanctity of Brown versus Board of Education um, that ruled that school segregation was unconstitutional. Now think about that. Judge, federal judges being confirmed today are refusing to say that Brown v. Board of Education, which held that causing black colored children to have to go to school separate from white colored children was illegal. They've refused to say that they believe that. And I doubt that there are many idealists among any of those 130 plus judges who have been confirmed in this administration. But now that I have you depressed, let me actually talk with you about an idealistic judge, a towering figure who died earlier this year. Judge Damon Keith died in April. At the time, he was 96 years old, making him one of the longest serving judges in this country's history. As reported by Virginia Gordon on National Public Radio on April 28th, Judge Keith was born in 1922 in Detroit, Michigan. Now get this. His grandparents had been slaves. I know that, I mean, today in 2019, we are so far removed from the idea that somebody could have been personally touched by slavery. But Judge Keith's grandparents had been slaves, and imagine how that shaped him. Judge Keith had been born in Detroit, um, and while we don't ordinarily think of the North being segregated, um, as... Uh, as um, NPR reported um, in a, uh, and then w reported on a PBS um, interview in 2015, uh, Judge Keith said that he had never been 
He had never had a black teacher. Um, he couldn't go. He couldn't even go to the YMCA across the street from his high school because it didn't admit black colored kids. He grew up knowing no black judges, no black colored elected officials, um, and then of course he served in the army where the army was segregated in World War II. Judge Keith um, graduated um, from Howard University Law School and then went on to get an advanced legal degree from Wayne State Law School in uh, Detroit. After being in private practice for 17 years, President Johnson nominated uh, Judge Keith to be a federal trial judge in 1967. Now remember, 1967 literally is two to three years after the 1964 and 65 uh, Voting Rights Act and Civil Rights Act. I mean, this is, you know, this is the 60s where things are changing. And as you know, if you listen to this show regularly, you know that I keep coming back to the 60s um, often because it is a place where idealism was alive. It is a place where there was, where, where there has been, of course, a lot of change in America. And so, um, uh, so you have that, okay? So in 67, he becomes a federal judge. And then 10 years later, um, uh, uh, Jimmy Carter elevated Judge Keith to be a circuit court justice, okay? Um, he went on and, and served as a circuit court justice until 1995 when at age 73, uh, he took what's called senior status, which means... Uh, you're not uh, trying cases anymore. You're not regularly hearing um, appeals, but you're still doing work. Um, you're doing special work that's assigned with assigned to you. So, I mean, you still have a staff, you still have an office, and you're still the judge. I mean, in other words, you're not retired, okay? And uh, Judge Keith uh, continued in senior status all the way from age 73 all the way to age 96. So talk about workaholic, talk about somebody devoted to uh, the law. Among his most notab notable cases was U.S. v. Sinclair in 1971, where Judge Keith ruled that Nixon's attorney general, remember that guy John Mitchell, had to disclose transcripts from illegally obtained wiretaps. And then later in 2002, in the wake of 9-11, Judge Keith um, wrote an opinion for unanimous uh, circuit court in the case of Detroit Free Press v. Ashcroft, and that was the attorney general at the time, John Ashcroft, that the Bush II administration couldn't deport immigrants in secret because they were, they were attempting to deport immigrants, many of them that were Muslim, claiming uh, that they were terrorists and they wanted to deport them in secret, in secret court proceedings where the public wouldn't be allowed. Um, and Judge uh, Keith wrote with very famous words in the Detroit Free Press v. Ashcroft case. Um, again, that was a unanimous uh, a panel of judges. Judge uh, Keith wrote that, quote, democracies die behind closed doors, unquote. Think about that today in 2019. Those were tough decisions. And Judge Keith was known for speaking truth to power. He was brave on the local level. I mean, he ordered desegregation in the 1970s for the Pontiac, Michigan School District. That resulted in death threats to Judge Keith. He had to be protected by the U.S. Marshals. And remember, I said that he was the grandson of slaves. And in America, I mean, think about this. 
that the grandchild of slaves would be ordering the desegregation of America's schools. That he would be able, with one, <laughs> with one pen, be able to write injustice. Now, of course, um, you know, it's, uh, it's something. And, and, and in the PBS interview that I've referenced that was referenced in the NPR uh, article, Judge Keith said, quote, there's not a day in my life in some way large or small I'm not reminded of the fact that I'm black, unquote. I grabbed that out of that interview because I will tell you, this is something that white color, white color people, remember I refer to people as white color because many white people don't believe that white is a color. Most white color people don't even think about the fact that they're white. I mean, they rarely ever think about it, ever, like ever but they certainly don't think about it every day in one way or another. I mean, it's just, I mean, the equivalent for me is I never thought about being transgender until I transitioned genders, and let me tell you, I think about it every day in one way or another, large or small, to paraphrase Judge Keith. You know, um, perhaps because of Judge Keith's skin color, he was particularly brave. And one of the other things that Judge Keith said was this, that equal justice under the law, that's the way I've tried to be as a lawyer and as a judge. I've tried to make those words meaningful. You know, uh, Damon Keith, we lost him. We lost a lion. We lost a giant earlier this year. I'm sorry I didn't report sooner about him, but I'm reporting about him now. If you want to find about an idealist, just Google his name, Damon Keith, and read up about him, and then share about him. And remember that only in America, only in America, can the grandson of slaves rise to a place where they can change the world. We'll be back in a minute. I've got this interview with Dan Blake. You will like it a great deal. You'll be inspired. Hopefully this show inspires you. If you like this show, visit my website at elliekrug.com. Follow me on Twitter at elliekrug. At elliekrug is the Twitter handle. Thanks. When I see Branding Electrolysis on Grand Avenue in St. Paul has been a leader in permanent hair removal for people of all skin types and backgrounds for over 30 years, celebrating diversity and priding themselves on finding the right treatment plan for each client's individual needs, regardless of race or gender. Services include electrolysis, body waxing, facials, microneedling, and permanent makeup. Book your 60-minute complimentary consultation, including a 15-minute treatment today, for beautiful, lasting results. Visit BrendingElectrolysis.com. This is Ellie Krug from Ellie 2.0 Radio on Mondays from 7 to 8 a.m. Many listeners know that I founded Human Inspiration Works, LLC, which trains on human inclusivity and on how to be welcoming diverse humans. Today, organizations of all sizes find that they need to train team members on diversity and inclusion. I can do that. Many say that my trainings change the way they see the world. I'd love to help make your organization more welcoming. 
For more information, go to humaninspirationworks.com. Thank you. Better Futures Minnesota impacts the community by addressing root causes of poverty, homelessness, dependency on public assistance, and high rates of untreated trauma that often lead to incarceration. The lives of men served have been marked by chaos, violence, and loss, which contribute to feelings of devaluation, rage, and lost human potential. Healings from this trauma is essential before participants can succeed as workers, fathers, and responsible community members. Learn how you can support our efforts at BetterFuturesMinnesota.com. We are back on AM 950, LE 2.0 Radio, Ellie Krug here. Um, well, Damon Keith, uh, look him up, please. Uh, just Google his name. Read some of his story. There is a book. Uh, uh, there's actually a book about his life. I think there's a movie about his life as well. Please do that because um, he is somebody to remember. Um, a giant in, uh, in the judicial field. And now, uh, here we are, uh, time for the big interview. And I've got another giant here, but this would be a giant in surviving the human condition. I have with me uh, Dan Daniel Blake. Dan obtained his BA from Bethel University and then his law degree from the University of Minnesota. Uh, He practiced in rural Minnesota throughout his career um, with a wide variety of practice. But then he suffered a major stroke, and he's going to talk with us about that. Uh, Then, after that, he adjusted the way he practiced law, and currently, in addition to doing some uh, legal work on the side, he's also the Pine County Examiner of Titles. He's got a passion for writing and sharing his experiences. Uh, Folks, uh, you're going to listen right now to an interview with a man who will inspire you about living life, Daniel Blake. Dan Blake, welcome to LE 2.0 Radio. Thank you, Ellie. I'm just thrilled to have you here. And, you know, we should let the um, audience know about how you and I got to know each other. I mean, you kind of rang me out of the blue. And, you know, um, my audience has heard in the past that I have this thing called a standing offer that I will meet with any human in a public place to talk to them about surviving the human condition, talk to them for at least an hour. Um, And, and you and I went and did that. We, total strangers, we went and had lunch. Right. I had no idea what I was getting into. Um, and then you shared this incredible story about about your life. And and it so inspired me. I knew I, that I'd want to have you on my show. And at this point, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shut up. Dan, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, who you are and, and what, what's gotten you to where you are right now, being a huge idealist. Sure, sure. Um, I was going through life quite nicely, as I thought. Um, had a thriving law practice and, and was uh, 41 years old and wonderful family and so forth. However, um, apparently my wiring my brain was wrong. I had a birth defect. Uh, it's called an AV malformation. And it led to a stroke. It was a major stroke. I ended up with the uh, ambulance ride, a later helicopter ride to the hospital. This and is an, in 2003, right? Yes, exactly. And you're how old at that point? 41 years old. Okay, go ahead. All right. And so I had a helicopter ride to the hospital, and uh, they did some tests, and they rushed me in there. We're going through tests and determined what had happened to me. And the next day, they cut my head open and uh, cauterized off the bleed in my brain. It was a bleed stroke. And... Uh, uh, sewed me up, and the next morning the doc came in and said, uh, well, we think we got the bleeding stopped. Um, you're alive, um, but you had a major stroke, 
and just keeping it real. Um, we can't tell you that you'll walk, speak, or, or regain your cognitive ability, um, move your arm. I was paralyzed completely on the right side of my body. Uh, they didn't rule it out, but I mean, the damage was major and they couldn't tell me that I would recover at all. And uh, that I'd be in the hospital for weeks and months and have a nice Christmas. That was December 2003. And he's telling you this along with your telling your wife at that time as well, right? Correct. Correct. Okay. And she is, of course, freaking out. Exactly. We had at the time three of our four children were born and they're young children. And uh, at the time, I was the sole source of income in the family. And, uh, yes, yeah, she's freaking out because a lot of weight fell on her shoulders that she had never anticipated Okay. All right. So go ahead and bring us forward. So you're told by a doc, you may not ever talk or walk ever again, right? right? Okay. And my apparently my cognitive ability was estimated to be, or my IQ was estimated to be 40. Um, <laughs> they did some tests along the way, and I could not identify a shape such as a, 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 a notebook looks like a rectangle or that it looks like a different uh, rectangle versus a circle, that sort of thing. That's where I was at cognitively. I knew what had happened to me, what the okay. doctor was saying. I could not move the right side of my body. I could not think very well, and I could not speak very well. Okay. Uh, okay, Dan, it sounded very bleak. Yes. So what happened, my friend? Well, I, of course, I cried myself to sleep plenty of times. But as I was in the hospital, they said, we will put you in on the rehab floor um, and we'll first put you in a regular room and make sure you survive. Which hospital is this? Because people are wondering right now. Yeah. North Memorial. Okay. Um, in it, north, uh, north of Minneapolis, right? Correct. Yep. Correct. And uh, so eventually, after about a week or so, they, they had me starting to go to therapy um, twice a day. And I had what they called physical therapy, occupational therapy, and speech therapy. The speech therapy really was trying to get my mind going. But they had me going down for that twice a day. And I encountered just so many people and so many experiences as I was hoping that I would regain something. Uh, they didn't tell me I couldn't, but I mean, they said, we, we can't tell you that you will. This is major damage and we don't know what's going to happen. Um, so that was, that was where I learned a whole lot of things. And everything I thought I knew about life was potentially out the window. Um, I looked at pictures of my children, thought about my wife, thought about my practice, which I didn't much care about at that point, but thought about even being able to walk and move. And all that was highly in question at that point in time. You're touching my heart right now as you speak. Go ahead, please. Uh, so I went through the process. Fortunately, fairly quickly along the way, within a matter of several weeks, my mind was coming back. They were testing me constantly and giving me mind-practicing games. Okay. Um, and then positive reinforcement, I assume. Right. Well, they kept <laughs> telling me that, that you're, you're recovering well and you're doing well, and eventually they said, you're, you're fine. And then in physical and occupational therapy, they kept telling me I'm working so hard. And, and I kind of was questioning that because I, I said, well, gee, I'm not able to move. You're taking my leg and moving it for me. You're taking my arm, you're moving it for me. I don't, I'm not working hard. And I didn't get it at the time, but they explained to me that, no, most people that have been through what you've been through would be giving up. Okay. They wouldn't even be showing up. Exactly. Emotionally. Uh, right, right. Okay. They, they're physically in the hospital. They didn't have a choice, but they, they wouldn't be into it. And, they, and, and I, I encountered a great many other stroke victims as we sat in our wheelchairs waiting for our turns in therapy and, and found some really uh, despondent, down folks, very understandably so with what they'd been through. Right. Well, why were you different? Um, Here's what I believe. I believe there's a couple things. Number one, and, and this is really one of my big points, I so believe in hope. 
Um, and I was able to find that, yes, I cried myself to sleep, but I so believe in hope. Um, it occurred to me somewhere along the way that I had a choice between hope and despair. In fact, a thesaurus says the antonyms of hope are not only despair, but, but hatred and fear. Hmm. Uh, I chose hope. Now, I would like to say that that was through some great moral character, and I certainly dug into the former you know, high school athlete that got floor burns and hustled, that sort of thing. But also, I believe that there are angels in life. They don't wear wings. They don't have, you know, heavenly choir voices. They're, they're, they appear in human form. They're humans. Uh, but there were so many cards there were so many flowers, people stopping to see me. I heard about people praying for me in churches I'd never heard of. <laughs> and that support, as well as other people I encountered in that process, were uh, angels. I mean, th- there was, for instance, a stroke visitor. I uh, got a knock on my door one night. It was a, as a gal who said, hi, you know, if you're, if you're tired, I won't stop in. But uh, I would like to uh, speak with you. She had come in and explained that she'd had a stroke previously some years earlier. She had come in in a wheelchair, and her, her arm was uh, n- not usable. And she explained her life. Um, she'd left a very good job, but she wasn't fired, and she chose to leave it, and it, it made other choices. And I was so inspired because she was going to leave after she met with me and go home. <laughs> she, I was, I was, you know, I didn't know how long I'd be in the hospital. I don't, didn't know what kind of life I might have. And, and she had a life. You know, it might have been a life in a wheelchair. It might have been a life in a different job than the high-paying one that she'd had previously, but she had a life. And furthermore, I learned this later because I'm a slow learner, but uh, she also explained the changes she'd made leaving the high-paying job, which baffled me at the time. I said, well, were you fired? Well, no. I mean, you didn't have to leave it. No. She had leaved it, left it after her stroke or before after her after stroke. stroke. Okay. Because she was reinventing her life. Okay. So I want to stop on that point. Okay. We're going to have to take a break, mm-hmm. but I want to come back about reinventing. And then this, we're, we're not done with the challenges that you had because you had some other ones Correct. that came along. Okay. All right. Well, listeners, we're speaking with uh, Dan, Dan Blake, um, a lawyer um, and human inspire extraordinaire. You're listening to me, Ellie Krug. Um, if you like what you hear, visit my website at elliekrug.com. Uh, please uh, email me at elliejkrug at gmail.com because I love hearing from you. And of course, please follow me on Twitter at Ellie Krug. We'll be back in a minute and talk further with Dan Blake. Bye-bye. This is Ellie Krug from Ellie 2.0 Radio on Mondays from 7 to 8 a.m. Many listeners know that I founded Human Inspiration Works, LLC, which trains on human inclusivity and on how to be welcoming, diverse humans. Today, organizations of all sizes find that they need to train team members on diversity and inclusion. I can do that. Many say that my trainings change the way they see the world. I'd love to help make your organization more welcoming. For more information, go to humaninspirationworks.com. Thank you. Branding Electrolysis on Grand Avenue in St. Paul has been a leader in permanent hair removal for people of all skin types and backgrounds for over 30 years, celebrating diversity and priding themselves on finding the right treatment plan for each client's individual needs, regardless of race or gender. 
Services include electrolysis, body waxing, facials, microneedling, and permanent makeup. Book your 60-minute complimentary consultation, including a 15-minute treatment today, for beautiful, lasting results. Visit BrendingElectrolysis.com. At Better Futures Minnesota, our purpose is to fuel and guide our men's desire to turn their lives around and walk a new path toward better health and success. We are intent on changing the costly systems and practices that produce poor results and perpetuate the chaos and cycles of dependency experienced by men who have faced incarceration. We are building a movement that supports personal transformation and a healthy, vibrant community of men. Visit us at BetterFuturesMinnesota.com to learn how you can support our movement. And we're back on AM 950 LE 2.0 Radio. Um, we've been speaking with Dan Blake about his experience of encountering a stroke and changing his life. And Dan, when we broke, uh, you started to talk about being inspired to, to even work harder in the hospital, inspired to, to start really changing the way you're – apparently the way you're even viewing the world at that point. You want to talk about that some more? Yes, yes. I mean there are several other angels too, one of whom was a psychiatrist who met with me and explained to me point blank that I needed to change um, or that I would want to. And again, I, that didn't sink in fully right away. But she said, don't worry about trying to be the person that you were or, huh. the, or the person you think you need to be or the person that others want you to be. Give yourself permission to change. Um, now, like I say, I'm a slow learner. I later, a few years later, had a bout with cancer. Um, and then uh, my doc says, but I've been struck by lightning three times. A few years later, I had a second major stroke that was unrelated to the first one, also caused by a birth defect. And I was back in the hospital. Um, oh, my God. So I'm a slow learner. But I do think that I eventually got the permission to change things. Uh, going. And really, it, I'm, a, I'm a good-natured contrarian to start with. I like to think of, think of things differently than the way they are or other people think they are or need to be. By nature, I like to consider how they could be. And I really turned that self onto myself inwardly and examined who I was, uh, how things were, could they be viewed differently. And that has led me to blogging and uh, has led me to writing and starting to speak uh, publicly about some of my experiences and perhaps some of the things I've learned by being almost forced to change but also encouraged to do so. Well, and this was partly what we talked about over lunch because you had said to me Correct. this was a path that you wanted to take. And, and, um, and so what – um, you're still practicing law to a certain degree, right? Correct. Kind of the rest of that evolution is that I had had uh, an uncle who had no children, no spouse, and as he got ill and, and with dementia, I was, you know, my cousin and I took care of him. My mother uh, got dementia and was taking care of her. I have a developmentally disabled sister with stage four cancer, and I was raising four children. So one of the biggest effects for my strokes is that I don't have a full tank of gas in terms of energy. Uh -huh. So I'd cut back on the law practice, and I was also trying to take care of children and adult-dependent relatives. Well, as my children aged and started to graduate, and my uncle passed, my mother passed, I realized I finally could kind of breathe. I had a little bit of time on my hands, and I was antsy to do more. But 
Going back to re-upping the law practice and getting more clients, it was like fingers on a chalkboard to me. I didn't want to go there. <laughs> I did not have the enthusiasm I had as yep. a young lawyer. But I thought I love to write. I love to speak. And I'm energized by sharing some of the things I've experienced and perhaps some of the perspectives it's given me. And so I got serious about the blog, and that was right around the time I thought, oh, there's this person that speaks at uh, Continuing Legal Ed named Ellie Krug. I'd signed up for her newsletter, uh, The Ripple, and it's inspiring, and gee, it's cool. And hey, she's a lawyer, but I think she speaks and writes most of the time. So then I reached out and emailed you, and that led to lunch. And ironically, the same day we're having lunch, I got a contact from another friend who wanted to organize a speaking group and wanted me as a speaker. I mean, things have just come together in that respect. And, and I'm just, I'm eating it up. I've been loving doing it. And uh, it's, 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 been, it's been the change that I need to give myself permission to do. Okay, so bef- I, I want to come back to some of what you just said, but let's make sure people get where's your blog? My and blog. Where, if they, yep. Yep. So uh, it's reflectionsofaflawedman.com, all lowercase, one word, reflectionsofaflawedman.com. However, I think I've had enough hits that if you just Google the normal words, reflections of a flawed man, um, it will pop up. And that's where I blog. Okay, all right. And, and uh, listeners, uh, I've gone to the blog. There are some really, really great things on the blog about looking at the world differently, about taking taking time to understand um, that life is far more than um, having to make that 13 appointments in one week that you have set out on your calendar right now. So, Dan, we have in common the idea of going through a huge life change and then looking at the world differently and approaching it differently because, you know, I was a very... Uh, high-energy, high-intense uh, trial lawyer in uh, Cedar Rapids, Iowa, a couple of oxymorons in there. <laughs> and, um, uh, you know, once I transitioned genders and went through all of that, um, certainly I looked at the world way differently than what it is, you know, what I looked at it before. And I did, you know, to a large degree, gave myself permission to finally be Ellie Krug, who is this hopeless idealist who <laughs> absolutely wants to change the world. And I think that that's partly why I have listeners. They want, they, they like that about me. So you, you're approaching this, um, you know, my, my take is about diversity and inclusion. Yours is more human humanistic. And it's more right. about, um, I mean, I think that we ha- share in common that, you know, this thing about surviving the human condition, right? And, right. It's, and it's not a given. Talk to me about what do you think, where does the bravery lie? Does everybody have to have a stroke or a sex change operation in order for them to change their lives? No, I don't think so at all. I think there's a couple things people could do. Number one is to Look for the angels that are out there. Um, often we all get knocked down in one way or another, and uh, there are people out there that they may or may not even know they're being angels. But looking for them helps us see both humanity and people, but also it, it lets us know that we're loved by people. Um, so looking for the angels. The other thing I, I encourage is looking at people as individual people. Everyone has their own experiences. Yep. Everyone has had happy experiences. Everyone's had tough ones. Um, and I try very hard not to presume anything about anyone and look at everyone through the, for their own humanity. Everyone has worth. Uh, everyone has dignity. Um, everyone uh, needs love. 
Um, so I, I encourage I encourage that sort of thing. It doesn't require having had a, a major life change. Um, major life changes sometimes force one to look at different perspectives, but it can send one in different directions too. And I, I encourage a positive uh, direction of hope, of, of, of change, and of seeing humanity and the individual humans that make up humanity. So other than Ellie Krug, because you, I mean, you are such a memorable person, but have you heard from other people where your presence, with you sharing your story, has somehow caused them to pivot? in some way or another. Yes. And in fact, to some extent, the speaking group that organized itself and asked me to speak it did so for that very reason, and they selected me as their speaker. So from whole cloth, I'm inventing talks for them. Okay. Um, very, very intelligent, capable people, but they, they wanted to hear from me. Um, the other thing I did, I have a very clunky piece on my blog. The first thing I wrote was called Divorce. But that was writing about how everything I thought about myself was divorced after I had the first stroke. I was alive. That was it. I didn't know if my wife would stick with me mm. and see my kids. I couldn't practice law. I couldn't do a physical job because I couldn't move. So I had to start and re-piece everything in life and reprioritize everything uh, rather than the sort of the jumbled up, well, I would tell you what life's priorities were and I'd tell you the right thing. Uh, no, I had to actually go back piece by piece and try and make it. After your first stroke, how long did it take you to get back to the point where you could have a normal conversation with someone? Um, that was a process, but I was in the hospital about a month, uh, seven months of rehab. Okay. Um, my cognitive ability came back in a sense within about three weeks. However, I recall that I still couldn't process a lot of things and I didn't have uh, – uh, the ability to like think through our budget and finances and what we would do. We're, we're costing us money. We're broke, basically. Uh, that took months. But I could converse, you know, within a few weeks, but I couldn't process much. Sure. So back to, um, back, you know, to us changing and, and <clears throat> you're, what you're doing now is you're going out, you're sharing your story, and right. you're sharing the lessons that you've got from your story. Right. All right. And, you know, and what idealists are doing is idealists want to change the world. Okay. They really want the world to be a different way. And, and how, how do you want the world to be different than what it is right now? I want the world to be different in that to see people and individual human beings and the humanity and everyone. And, you know, sort of take one great big uh, collective valium and, and <laughs> so that we can, we can slow down and see that and appreciate that and reach out to it. And in turn, uh, others respond to that sort of thing. In other words, be an angel. That, that doesn't mean trying to be a busybody, but that just means uh, seeing the humanity in others, um, offering a kind word, um, just listening sometimes. Um, those are angel-type things, um, and that's that's a sort of change idealistically that I would like to see and encourage. Well, I mean, it's a incredibly important right now where we are in our country. Where, you know, uh, I I I was just out on in San Francisco uh, speaking at an ABA American Bar Association mm -hmm. conference, and <clears throat> one of the people I spoke to, I was sharing about my experiences in the Midwest, about how welcomed I am in small towns across mm -hmm. the Midwest. And the woman said to me, she said, well, I'm in, you know, I'm a coast person and I want to be where all the people are that are, that think like me. And I, 
I can't even think of what it would be like to be in the Midwest, you know. And what that caused me to, I, I felt sorry for the woman uh, that said that to me because I, I felt, boy, you have just created such tunnel vision for right. yourself. You really have. And it, and it seems to me that what you're doing is you're going out and you're helping people gain perspective about what it means to be human. Right. And, and you know, we tend to we, – we all live in bubbles and we tend to view things a certain way but, but without the facts to truly support them. And I think one of the things I encourage people to do is uh, don't take things as facts until they're really, really sturdy. Just suspend that disbelief, which also helps the individual not get emotionally invested in false facts. But take a step back and look at the, the facts. Look at the individual's. Recognize our own bubbles, step outside, and just, you know, maybe try to view some people in a more hopeful manner, and they may not be as bad as one might think, or they may not share certain characteristics that one thinks negatively of. Um, I really encourage that because I think we wind ourselves into knots when we, when we invest in things that are incorrect or are hurtful or view people negatively. Um, and folks often don't deserve that. Right. Well, in the end, it's about becoming familiar with humans and giving right. them a chance so that you can get to know them as humans, as, as right. who they are versus part of a group or part of a stereotype that we encounter. Correct. Well, Dan Blake, um, it has been a pleasure to have you on LE 2.0 Radio. Thank you for coming again. Give your website uh, for people. Uh, reflections of a Flawed Man. Dot com. All right. And you're available to do talks. Um, yes, on I am. Surviving the human condition, yes. right? And if anyone wishes to email me, uh, Daniel Blake Law at Outlook.com. Okay. Well, Dan Blake, thanks for being here on LE 2.0 Radio. I've loved having you. Good luck to you as you go forward. And you know I'm here for you if you ever need anything. Thank you, Ellie. Okay. All right. Well, listeners, uh, Dan Blake for you there. I'm inspired. I hope you are. Um, we'll be back in a minute and I'll do my C block. Thanks so very much. Bye. Better Futures Minnesota is a social enterprise which helps men achieve self-sufficiency and a better future for themselves and their communities. We need your help. By donating time or funds to our cause, you can support us and promote a healthier environment. By hiring our deconstruction crews for your next residential or commercial project and shopping or donating building materials or appliances to our reuse retail warehouse, you are supporting Better Futures Minnesota and your community. Please visit BetterFuturesMinnesota.com to learn more. This is Ellie Krug from Ellie 2.0 Radio on Mondays from 7 to 8 a.m. Many listeners know that I founded Human Inspiration Works, LLC, which trains on human inclusivity and on how to be welcoming, diverse humans. Today, organizations of all sizes find that they need to train team members on diversity and inclusion. I can do that. Many say that my trainings change the way they see the world. I'd love to help make your organization more welcoming. For more information, go to humaninspirationworks.com. Thank you. Branding Electrolysis on Grand Avenue in St. Paul has been a leader in permanent hair removal for people of all skin types and backgrounds for over 30 years, celebrating diversity and priding themselves on finding the right treatment plan for each client's individual needs, regardless of race or gender. Services include electrolysis, body waxing, facials, microneedling, and permanent makeup. Book your 60-minute complimentary consultation, including a 15-minute treatment today, for beautiful, lasting results. Visit BrendingElectrolysis.com. Kind of 
Ellie 2.0 Radio, AM 950, Ellie Krug here. Dan Blake, um, I don't, I mean, hopefully you were inspired. Hopefully at least he grabbed you enough to cause you to, whoa, hold on, I want to listen to what um, this man has to say. Uh, and, and it was, I mean, he called me up just out of cold and, and uh, we had our conversation and that's the way I work. I, you know, humans reach out, I respond. So go check out his website, Reflections of a flawed man.com and uh, read more about uh, Dan Blake. Now, we're in my C block here, and I want to talk a little bit um, about something that happened to me recently, uh, last week as I was doing my work. Remember, you know, I speak and train on human inclusivity. That is really my day job. This uh, radio show is just uh, icing on the cake. Um, we started out by talking about uh, Judge Keith, uh, Damon Keith, and I want to go back to judges, okay, because as we know, judges have the ability to shape society, and certainly judges have much power. So last week, um, I uh, did a, a webinar so for 100-plus judges across America. Uh, that was through the National Judicial College. I have a friend there. He sweet-talked me into doing a webinar. I am not crazy about webinars because... All they are is me sitting in front of a screen, uh, a talking head. And I am the kind of speaker that I'm like, I don't use podiums. I'm up in front of people. I'm walking around. I'm going up and smiling at people. I'm sometimes tapping people on the shoulder. But nonetheless, um, he convinced me to do a webinar. And it was a webinar about um, uh, titled Trans 101, Transgender 101 for the courts, about how to make the courts more welcoming to transgender and non-binary or non gender non-conforming people, that is, people who are androgynous. Um, the webinar was for about 75 minutes, um, and I did something. So because it was a webinar, I did have some flexibility to do things that I don't usually do. And so when you do a webinar, you can actually throw, start throwing questions at people who are um, listening to the webinar. And as I said, um, we had more than 100. I think the actual number was 114 judges and court personnel who were watching the webinar. It's a pretty good audience. And so I wanted to do a little of experiment. And so right before I started to speak, we threw out a question to everyone um, with the question being, um, uh, well, hold on. Here's the question. The question was, do you believe being transgender is a choice, yes or no? And, um, I, and I've never, you know, I don't really, I rarely ever get to ask that kind of question about uh, audiences when I speak about what it means to be transgender and when I train on being transgender. And so in response to the question, do you believe that being transgender is a choice, yes or no, at the beginning of my speech, before I really gave the training, the response ratio came back and I was, I thought it was pretty good. 89% of the judges and court people that were preparing to hear me on the webinar said no, they didn't believe that being transgender was a choice. Um, but 11% said yes, they did believe being transgender was a choice. Um, 11%, that's a lot of people still, okay? And remember, judges have power. So I went forward, I did the training on Transgender 101. A part of that uh, actually tackles the question about choice directly. Um, I have a, an exercise that I go through where I speak about, um, let's put aside, you know, gender identity or sexuality. Let's just talk about other things about people, what makes people authentic and what 
you know, people might think are choices, but really aren't. Like I go through, I went with the webinar, I went through, okay, so those of you who are writers, um, where you have to write, you've got a blog or you've got to write in your journal or you're writing a book and you have to do this as part of who you are, you know, nope, you can't write another word because it's just a choice on your part. You don't have to do that. And then I do that for other things with people who are musicians or singers or people who are in the theater or people who are artists or people who are crafters and people who are helpers. Um, and, you know, go through the whole routine and I just tell people you can't do that ever again because it's just a choice. And very often, I mean, when I'm in with live audiences and I do that, I actually see people get visibly angry at me. How dare you? How dare you tell me that I can't sing another note? How dare you? And of course, I want that reaction because I want people to understand the need to sing a note, the need to sing is part of who you are. It's part of your authenticity, just like me. I know it's all weird, but part of, I mean, my authenticity was, even though I was born with male plumbing, I'm really female. So, um, so we went through the training. You've got an idea of how that training works. Okay. And at the end, I wanted to see if we'd had any movement. I wanted to see if Ellie Krug is any good at trying to sell an idea. So again, at the end of the training question came up, do you believe that being transgender is a choice? And you know what the results were at that point? After 75 minutes of me speaking, 75 minutes of me talking about what it means to be transgender, that it wasn't a choice. So in response to the question at the end, do you believe that being transgender is a choice? At the end, 96% of the participants on the webinar said no, they didn't believe it was a choice. That's up from 80, what was 89% before. But still 4%, even after 75 minutes, even after of listening to me, 4% of the judges and court personnel believe that being transgender was still a choice. Now, of course, that's great. I mean, I think that that's significant progress from what <clears throat> was at the beginning of the training. But that's still a number of judges with power who believe that it's a choice. And can you imagine being transgender, standing in front of a judge, asking for a name change, asking maybe for your birth certificate to be changed, asking for something maybe that has nothing to do with anything about your identity. But the fact is that you're transgender and you're in front of a judge and the judge believes that this is a choice of yours, that you don't need to be that way. Can you imagine how horribly that might go? for the transgender person. All right. So, um, that's me, idealist, trying to make the world better. I, I love being able to share that because I can actually share numbers that show that maybe I actually did make the world better um, as it relates to some judges. All right, well, I hope you've enjoyed this show. I'm trying to make them interesting. I'm trying to make them innovative. A big thanks to my producer, Brett Johnson. Brett, you are the best, and we've had some rocky roads with getting this show taped, so thank you, Brett, for putting up with Ellie Krug. A big thanks to my sponsors, Brending Electrolysis. Tell Bev I sent you, and she does great work. She's in St. Paul, but worth the trouble. And also, a big thanks to our other sponsor, Better Futures Minnesota, which gives people a second chance. Um, to you, my listeners, thank you for listening. Please tell others about this show. I'm hearing across America that people are listening to my podcast. Please, please share about it. Please uh, contact me at ellijkrug at gmail.com. If you like the show or if I hit a nerve, tell me about that. Visit my website at ellijkrug.com. See you next week. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.